The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity FM Radio. I am Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together, we discuss ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. And as today's show is an interactive discussion, if you're listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions. And the number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. Facebook users, you can also connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, to share your thoughts and comments. You know, many of us in recovery will hold on to old ideas until the pain and confusion pushes us into a point of willingness. And I've heard it said that we never let go of anything that didn't have claw marks all over it. But when we truly become willing to try a new way, our lives begin to change. When we can truly let go and allow a higher power to provide guidance and direction, our lives begin to become amazing. And today we want to talk about how to let go trust a higher power, and build the life that you have dreamed of. So we'll begin by sharing our own experiences of life as it was when we were holding on to old ideas, and then we'll move into the solution of learning to let go and let God. Then after the break, we'll share exactly how we moved from a life of pain and confusion into the lives we want to live by letting go and letting God. So Dan, what was the first thing you thought of whenever you heard, let go and let God? Uh, The first thing that came to my mind is, how on earth do you do that? That seems kind of abstract and almost airy-fairy and woo-woo to me, I think. I mean, uh, that's what I remember thinking, well, that sounds like a great idea. What does that even mean? Uh, I, I didn't get it. No, I didn't either. You know, and furthermore, I wasn't convinced of the need. You know, I had had a what I consider to be a successful life so far, yeah. um, which is how I ended up in a program, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I had um, been directed by um, self-will and picking myself up by my bootstraps and um, self-help books and, you know, intellect and all of those kinds of things that had uh, helped me put my life together up to that point in time. But I, I landed in a 12-step program and didn't get it why these same tools that I had used this whole time didn't didn't cha- make my life change. 
Yeah. When I think back to that time uh, when my life did contain a lot of pain and confusion, you know, for a long time, that pain and confusion was really very subtle. I don't really think I saw it as uh, an issue at all. And I certainly didn't feel like it was driving my life. I don't think it was. But, you know, as we say with our uh, addiction, no matter what it is, it works till it doesn't. And so then there at the end, when we was getting to the it doesn't part of all that, uh, that pain and confusion became very apparent and really, really loud. And I know that it was there the whole time, um, but it was not until the end where sort of my my previous strategy fell apart and my defenses crumbled that it really uh, overran me. I know that early in life, um, I felt like, I had to take care of everything myself. And again, I can see this now, but at the time it was, you know, I was just doing what people did. It was no big deal. I didn't see myself as somebody that needed to do that. Others may have, but I didn't. I was just living life as I understood it. But looking back, you know, I definitely felt like if I wanted to do something or have something or be something or, or bring a situation together or whatever, I myself had to go out and like wrestle it out of the universe and make it happen. And I'm glad I don't live that way anymore, but I remember that. And, and that certainly brought a, um, a decent amount of uh, angst, you know, uh, upset and some pain and confusion with it. You know, one of the big clues for me was the um, is the resistance. You know, when I when I studied step two with my sponsor, I found out this about myself, and I didn't like it, and it's still kind of true, which is that my first reaction to life in general is resistance. You know, I don't know how to go with the flow. I didn't know how to go with the flow. I didn't like the direction the flow was going. And, and I would, as you said, you said wrestle it out of the universe. I would try to make things happen as well. I would try to force things to go my direction. And as I know now, you know, people don't like that too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, there's that uh, segment in the big book that he uh, uses the analogy of the play. You know, we're, we're, we're arranging all of the actors and we've got it all figured out how everyone is supposed to be. And so, yeah, I think maybe everyone doesn't like that so much. I, I know that early on, as I consider this, that I definitely thought I was in control of my life. And in many ways I was, you know, the, the, the transition from, um, being a, what I will just say, a user of alcohol into an abuser of alcohol into, um, you know, uh, active crisis mode, which happens at the end for me was over a long period of time. And it was subtle shifts over time. You know, it, it, it happened sort of like I've heard it said in the business community, you know, businesses tend to succeed the way, the same way they fail slowly. And then suddenly that's kind of what happened with my uh, addiction path. Uh, it became a problem slowly and then suddenly, but most of that time, you know, I thought I was in control of my life and in many ways I was, and I looked, I certainly looked like I was in control of my life, but I think that what was going on is all the, you know, the internal gaps, I call them in me, um, the little, the nagging fears, the little disconnections, the places where I lacked, you know, skills maybe in dealing with the world and dealing with people. 
could all be bridged. You know, all those gaps could very successfully be filled uh, with alcohol. And so when that was working, everything was fine. I mean, it, it really looked and felt like it was fine, but clearly it wasn't fine because alcohol is no way to be bridging the gaps in my life, I have learned. And like I said, it works until it doesn't. You know, for me, I found that um, I was a control freak. I still can be at times, and that particular trait is triggered by fear. And when I first arrived in the program, I was full of fear. I didn't, you know, fear the unknown mostly. I had no idea what was going to happen. I didn't know what I was going to be told to do next. I didn't know if I wanted to do it or not, but I certainly didn't want to go back the direction I had been. And so, you know, uh, and it, and again, a quote from the book talks about driven by a hundred forms of fear. You know, we we step on the toes of others, and then they retaliate. And then my attitude is, well, why is everything happening to me? What have they got in for me? You know, but not realizing that my fear and confusion and pain and unwillingness to look at a new idea or a new way of being in the world is what set the whole situation up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think back about... Um, uh, and this is almost, a, this is a little bit backwards and maybe a little ironic, though maybe not uncommon for those of us in recovery. You know, as I learned uh, what the promises are in the in the recovery literature, I began to see uh, more clearly some of the issues that I had carried with me my whole life. For example, uh, there's a promise about uh, fear of people and of economic insecurity. Well, I had both of those things pretty strongly um, I was I was more aware of the fear of people, which the way that it showed up in my life wasn't, um, you know, like you would think of a fear of people, like a fear of spiders. It was more a tendency to uh, shy away from interactions is the way that it showed up. But uh, I think it's very reasonable for me to understand that as a fear of people, especially now on the other side of it, uh, where I have shaken that fear for the most part. Um, it becomes a lot more clear that it was a fear. So when I think about the pain and confusion in my life, you know, in the time prior to recovery, there's certainly a period when it was very subtle, um, but I can see elements of it very clearly now. And that, that's a couple of them that show up there in the promises. Fear of people and of economic insecurity definitely uh, were major drivers in my life when I, and I didn't even really know it. Yeah, I can I can identify with that a lot. And, you know, back to this, how does this let go and let God work? Um, you know, I didn't know how to let go. I didn't have any clue as to how to have a different idea. And it was in part based on values I had been taught as a child, which was the the, the family value was try harder, don't quit, keep going. And so whatever tool I had, you know, there's a parable that talks about the man with the hammer sees everything as a nail. Mm -hmm. You know, that was kind of my approach to life was that whatever tool I had, I used it until it didn't work anymore, <laughs> you know, really. And, um, and it didn't matter. It was kind of like a one size fits all. And we know life is not one size fits all. And so that just created more chaos. But I had the opportunity to begin learning about letting go uh, when I was about three weeks uh, clean and sober, and my grandmother passed. And when she transitioned, I was lost. And I found at that point in time that I had not only the normal grieving going on, but all kinds of other ideas connected to that that caused me pain whenever I whenever I dwelled on them. And that was some of my experiences with 
with uh, being told, let go and let God. You know, you can't do anything about that. Let it go. Let go and let God take care of it. Um, you know, because it was it was not something I, w- I was losing sleep and everything else. And it was uh, a lesson that I had to uh, become immersed in at that point in time. Yeah, you know that um, you're talking about the if if I'm a hammer, everything's a nail. I definitely had that point of view. I, I would tend to find something that worked and then stick with that. And again, that's kind of a fear reaction in me, you know, an, an unwillingness to take the risk of maybe finding yet another uh, approach to something. It's like, no, I don't need to do that. I don't need to talk to any more people. I've got something that works and I'm going to do it. Uh, and I sum that up by saying, this is the perfect alcoholic phrase. If one's good, two's better. How could it not be? One is good too much. Two is twice as good. And that <laughs> sort of drove me for a while. And I also love what you said earlier about claw marks, right? The first time I heard that uh, in the rooms about uh, not, not having let go of anything that didn't have claw marks in it. You know, I didn't think of myself as uh, having that kind of relationship to letting things go. But man, when somebody said that, uh, it really started to turn the light on for me. And that that definitely um, applies to me, uh, certainly in the past, uh, much less so now um, with some time in recovery, but absolutely in the past uh, that applied. I, I would not let go of something that was working until the, you know, the, the bitterest of bitter ends. And so I suspect that this is not a unique situation that many other people in recovery have had these same types of um, circumstances in their lives. And so we know that this is a challenge, living this life of pain and confusion. What's the solution to that? Well, in, in unity, a piece of the solution is that we affirm God as the one presence and one power in our lives. And in fact, this truth is one of unity's five basic principles. Yes, it's the first principle which states... There is only one presence and one power active in the universe and in my life. God the good, omnipotence. And, you know, in the big book it says God is or God isn't. What is our choice to be? (laughs) And, you know, so it points us to the solution, which is to let go of trying to control so much of our life experiences directly and to let this presence and power that we call God take care of things instead. And so the solution is let go and let God. And by doing this, we let go of that which is holding us back and allow our lives to change from pain and confusion to the lives we really want to lead. So given all of this, what do we mean when we say let go and let God? What is it that we're doing? Um, I know for me that, that that is something I had to really learn because it was, as I was saying before, very abstract sounding concept. It seemed very almost woo-woo, definitely from where I came from, odd. You know, I had a a very concrete relationship with the world. You know, the work that I did, I could see it happening in front of me, even though, you know, it was software work that I've done. It's abstract, but um, still, I mean, I do a thing and it does a thing and I can see the direct relationship. There was always connections between things. There was none of this kind of airy, fairy, ill-defined um, spirit that no one can agree on what it means um, sorts of things. And so in the beginning, for me, let go and let God was a big mystery. 
you know, and, and I'm, I'm grateful that I was willing to stay open to it, but, um, that's what it was. Well, you know, for me, I was baffled for a long time and that was because they would say, let go and let God in one breath. And the next breath, they would say something along the lines of don't stop before the miracle happens. And so with that, I was confused. How do I know when to let go? How do I know when to don't stop? You know, both both slogans are used liberally. And I was told that part of this was based on faith. It was not based on fear. You know, the spiritual principle of step three, and if you think about it, under the, the uh, first principle is faith. And faith being that I make a conscious, intentional decision to look for guidance and direction and alignment and support and power someplace besides my own, between my own two ears. Yeah, I know for me, uh, especially early on, because the whole God thing was so abstract and intangible, so it really felt kind of unreal to me because of that. What let go and let God meant to me early on was, um, and I'm glad I could do this, just to stay open to the possibility that things might be different, that there might be a way of seeing stuff that, that I hadn't encountered, that um, that I could see things differently if I were uh, simply able to um, stay open-minded, basically, and not so quick, because I've, I've, I had always been very quick to want to understand something, and so I would want to move toward a conclusion, you know, fairly readily, like, okay, I get how this works, because now I can be comfortable if I get how it works. And so it was very hard for me to sort of do what we call might call today sitting in the question, you know, just sort of letting it stay open. So even long before I could uh, tell anyone or even say what did it mean to let go and let God, I just had to uh, stay open in that uncomfortable place, um, just thinking, well, if there were something different, you know, maybe I'll bump into it. You know, I'm really glad that you mentioned that open-mindedness because I think that there are several elements that come into play here. I mean, it isn't just a simple, okay, drop everything and say, okay, God, you got it. <laughs> you know, at least it didn't work that way in my life. And some of the, the elements for me have to do with the open-mindedness that you mentioned, but also with willingness because I can be open-minded all day long if I don't have to do anything about it. But, but what happens when I have to put some action to it? For me, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where I uh, can see the changes in my life is if I can at first put some tentative action to it, kind of timid action to it, and then based on uh, my experience with that, later become a little bolder about it. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because that, I absolutely agree. And that was my experience that, you know, being being open to uh, new things is part of uh, the deal. The other part is a willingness to, and I had heard early on this phrase that has really stuck with me, to suit up and show up. It just means, again, it's, it's almost an act of faith. It's partly an act of strength, you know, in, in a sense, an act of will almost, to say, and, you know, a simplest example of it is to go to a meeting. Um, so I would go to a meeting every day early in recovery because that's what I was told to do, and I believed that that was really important. And so I would go 
whether I felt like it or not. I would suit up and show up. I developed the habit of going. I became comfortable in that environment. So I knew some of the people. It was became a familiar place. I went to the same meeting every day um, during the week. And so um, I was able to really develop a new habit. But that willingness to just to just show up and do the thing, even if I don't understand how it works and if I don't understand where it's going. And that's what was hard for me to do it even when I didn't understand it. You know, for me, the power of strength came in when I was told to do something, suggested strongly to take some action, such as you just described. And my, uh, I was talking earlier about how my first reaction is no, <laughs> that I, this resistance that naturally arises within me to the power of strength came in for me to go anyway, make myself do it anyway, make a choice, use the power of will, make a choice, and then follow through on it over and over and over again. However, I needed to do that. And, and, and pr- like the process that you described, over time, I became not just comfortable with that, but began to trust that. I'm in pain and confusion. I don't know what to do. I'm not really sure how to let go and let God, gosh, if I go into my community and share what's going on with me, I'll bet I'll get some ideas. Let's go find out. Yeah. I, and this is reminding me about another little piece that comes to mind is that, uh, you know, I'm I'm grateful for and my path to my journey to understanding what this whole let go and let God thing means uh, was that I had a decent amount of curiosity. You know, people are acting like they're living according to this thing that I can't even wrap my head around or see. Um, I'm, I'm willing to show up. And so I keep being, uh, you know, I keep learning more. I keep getting exposed to people sharing their experiences with it. And I became very curious to what is this thing? What are these people going on about? You know, uh, I, I was uh, convinced early on that, that everyone there was nuts, but I was willing to show up anyway. And then I slowly became nuts myself, apparently, because <laughs> I really began to see uh, over time what they were talking about. But that, you know, being curious, I think, which I'm naturally curious about how things work, being curious, I think, really helped me to stick around and sort of look for and stay open to. And I wonder if it's this and I wonder if it's that. I had a similar curiosity when I realized that not everybody defined their higher power or this God that we were letting go and, you know, and turning things over to. Um, They didn't define it the same way. And perhaps it didn't work the same way in, in their mind. Somebody might let go and let God by doing things and somebody else might let go and let God by not doing things. And I didn't understand that, you know, it was really confusing to me. Yeah, it it, it is. uh, Again, that's reminding me how abstract the whole thing was. Like, you know, I was much more comfortable with things that had, could have concrete steps. You know, you do this and like that you could see happening. Not, not, none of this, none of this weird, uh, you know, if if you if you show up at a meeting and then you talk to your sponsor and then this happened, this completely unrelated change will take place. What? How is this connected to that? You know, I like things that are all connected together. But yeah, people would do it differently, and that sort of aggravated that part of me that that would really, in a sense, uh, have preferred to see the mechanism working. But 
then again, if that's how it worked, I, I would never have gotten into recovery. You know, part of my problem was that I did not have uh, the skills to engage life in that way that I'm now calling airy fairy, you know, that started off that way. I don't feel that way about it now, but at the time I definitely did. Um, one reason that I have the addiction that I have and that I'm in recovery is because I didn't have that ability to deal with the nebulous, you know, to deal with what now I would call the spiritual, the, um, you know, the, 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 the part of reality that is non-material, for example, would have been nothing to me. And I think that that, the lack of that, uh, is one thing that really threw me out of balance. You know, I think that that's one of the things that I, I grabbed onto early in when I finally landed in unity was because finally there was a way to make sense out of some of this stuff. And it was called metaphysics, you know, that there is the physical world and then there is the spiritual world, which always seemed kind of woo woo. But then metaphysics explained how these interactions uh, happened, how they are dependent upon one another, how they work together. And it started making sense to me the way that I was interpreting that. You know, and there's a place in the book that says spiritual principles will solve all my problems. And when I started recognizing that that's what is going on here, I too had been told by one of the old timers, um, you do something on your left hand and something else happens on the right hand and you're not going to see the connection between the two, you know, which kind of fueled the idea that my job, part of letting go and letting God for me is I just do the next right thing. I might think I'm supposed to do something else. I might feel like something different, but my job is just to do the next right thing. And that seems to line things up for me. I had a similar experience and I'm forever grateful to unity and the unity principles and the Fillmore's because when I encountered unity, it had that same effect. And I, I'll, I'll, to me, it comes down to a, a saying or phrase that we used to use more than we do now, but I still use it, practical Christianity. Okay, that practical piece was the thing that, uh, like you described, the metaphysics connecting the dots, so to speak. Um, it was the practicality that worked for me. You know, for example, the, the, the concept of the, quote, Christ within, I had never heard that in my life. You know, I was familiar with the Christian narrative just from growing up in a Christian society and uh, attending some Sunday school when I was a kid. But that, that idea that we inherently carry what uh, in unity we call the Christ within, I mean, that, that was a wild thing. But it was at least something that began to make sense. It was abstract, yes, but that uh, practical aspect of the unity principles really helped me a lot. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm all about practical. <laughs> I want something that's going to work, and I want it to work now, and I want it to work every time I try it. And so, you know, it's um, it's one of those things that finally made things click for me. So we're getting ready for our break, and when we come back, we'll open the phone lines for callers, and we'll continue our conversation. And the number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Meditation Minute with Paulette Pipe. So as always, we begin our time of meditation by first taking account of what we're feeling, those sights that we're seeing, those sensations that we're experiencing, and each breath that we breathe. Notice where in your body you're experiencing those sensations. Let your breathing find its own rhythm. As we begin the process of letting go, the process of relaxation. Remember why we're here. To hear more from Paulette Pipe and Touching the Stillness, visit the archives section at unityonlineradio.org. Since 1924, Daily Word has offered inspiration and practical teachings through daily prayer messages to help people of all faiths live happy, healthy lives. The magazine includes two months of daily affirmations, messages, articles, and spiritual poetry to help you get inspired. Subscriptions are available for print editions in large type and Spanish, as well as the digital subscription package that includes the online magazine with audio, smartphone app, and daily email. Get your subscription today. Visit dailyword.com or unity.org. Look who's making a difference in the world. It's the New Thought Walden Award honorees. Profiled in Unity Magazine, the September-October edition, Unity has joined with its New Thought partners to honor 27 leaders serving in the areas of spirituality, healing, interfaith understanding, caring for the earth, and social activism. These are people you need to know about. Pick up Unity Magazine or go online to waldenawards.com. Discover new ways to heal yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually with Michael Schwartz and Spiritual Naturopathy. Every Monday at 12 p.m. Central, Michael offers a holistic path to healing and guides listeners to new levels of self-awareness, touching on topics like intuition, healing by faith, dream interpretation, and a lot more. Michael explores how to maximize our spiritual gifts and helps us discover how much healing power we really have. Call in with your questions and comments every Monday here on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We're going to resume our discussion in just a moment. But first, we want to let you know that we're opening the lines for callers. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. 
So just prior to the break, we were discussing this concept of letting go and letting God, and what does that mean? And we talked about how it's kind of a process, and some of the elements that are required being open-mindedness and willingness. And, you know, we were talking about this because this life of pain and confusion that we had in active addiction and in early recovery, we needed a solution. And the solution we were told was to let go and let God. So, Dan, exactly how does doing that lead us into a life that we really want to live? Wow. Uh, I don't know. If you ever find the answer to that question, I'd be very interested in hearing it. Ironically, even though I feel like I can do it and I'm actually feel like I've, I've become adept at it. I mean, I live my life this way. I'm not sure I still understand exactly how it works. I know how I got there. And it's sort of a combination of a few things. One, we've been talking about uh, being willing and honest and open-minded. That WHO uh, saying that we have is, is so essential to me because nothing is going to change, I know, in my life. If I'm not willing to look at things differently, willing to maybe do some things I hadn't done before, if I'm not willing to be honest with those around me, to keep open to new possibilities. And then there's something else that we talked about earlier, that simple putting one foot in front of the other, otherwise known as doing the next right thing. Uh, th that's those are the principles that I really took in and was able to live by as I kind of, my best description is I let this, I let it unfold. You know, what does it mean to say, I let go and let God, I had to let that unfold over time. Uh, but, and, and it's an experience, not, um, you know, not a verbal kind of thing. And the way that I eventually got there was by remaining open and putting one foot in front of the other. You know, on a global concept, I think that's an accurate description for me as well. But if I break it down further, for me, it was a bunch of little tiny steps. You know, um, I, first of all, I didn't know what it was I was holding on to. All I knew was I was in pain. You know, I had all this confusion and pain and chaos and unmanageability in my life, and I had no clue as to where to start to untangle that. And so I required outside help to do that, you know, a, a variety of, of types of outside help. And so for me, learning to let go and let God starts with figuring out what it is that I'm holding on to. You know, am I, what, what concept am I holding on to? What, what person or fear am I holding on to? Fear was a big one, afraid of being alone, uh, afraid of being abandoned, uh, afraid of not being a part of, you know, a lot of those fears drove drove this early uh, process in recovery of how do I let go of that? You know, and you mentioned the power of order, you know, the next right thing, one foot in front of the other, you know, and that, that was instrumental for me to learn to follow directions because they only gave me one little step at a time. All, all that I could do was the next step that they told me. Yeah. The, the other piece uh, to this for me, in, in addition to the, that general being willing and open-minded and the idea of doing the next right thing. So the next right thing um, that I was advised, at least one of them, was to develop some kind of prayer practice, you know, some habit of a prayer practice, whether I actually believed what I was doing or not was not as important as uh, the willingness to actually do it. And so we have that phrase, conscious contact, with God. That was uh, very helpful to me because at least it told me um, 
it gave me some sense of a goal, conscious contact with God. And so by undertaking even the simplest of prayer uh, practices, I was able to begin to understand what that meant. Well, Dan, it looks like we have a caller coming in. So um, let's let's go to our caller and see what the question or comment is. Well, we might have to wait wait on that. So prayer practice is a really good comment, a, a good tool. I too was told it doesn't matter if I believe it. It doesn't matter if I want to. It doesn't matter if I uh, like it. I just needed to do it. And I, of course, I started with the rote prayers because I didn't have a prayer practice to start with. I didn't have the words. I didn't know how to, um, I didn't know how to, engage in a conversation with this higher power I couldn't see, didn't understand, didn't didn't know, didn't have a relationship with. And so I started with prayers like the serenity prayer, and I would learn learn to say that. Um, and then I learned to use that prayer, both both from the perspective of the actual steps that it said in there. Is this something I can change? Is this something I can't change? How do I know the difference between them? You know, I could use the tool in that way. And I could also use it to clear my my brain when it was obsessing about something by just saying it repeatedly over and over and over again because I can only focus on one thing at a time. So that's how my very rudimentary beginnings started with, with a prayer practice. There's a unity concept that helped me a lot with this, and that is God as infinite possibility. You know, the concept or the definition or the understanding of God as a field of infinite possibility. And that's not the only conception that I carry, but that is a conception that I carry. And one reason that that was helpful is because I I was able to uh, engage in a prayer practice, staying open to whatever, you know, this ill, undefinable to me nebulous uh, thing, knowing that it was there are new possibilities that can come out of this. That's kind of okay. As long as I know that, that's all I need to know. If God is the field of infinite possibility and prayer and meditation are how we have conscious contact with God, even when I didn't really get what that meant, I was down with that. That was good for me. Okay, I'll, I will stick with infinite possibility. It was a long time in my recovery before I got there uh, because it was a long time before I encountered unity. And so I was stuck in an earlier concept uh, for a while. But I would, um, so the next teeny tiny step first, what did I need to let go of? The second teeny tiny step that I had to take is I, I didn't trust my own judgment any longer. And so I would have to do what I call reality checks. I would call my sponsor and say, this is what I think. This is what's going on. This is how I'm feeling. What do you think? And she would say two things. She would either say, you got to be kidding me, or, you know, which I took as a, no, don't do that. Or she would say something like, well, I think you need to pray about that and then call me back. And so I was left with this, okay, the serenity prayer doesn't fit. Now what? You know, foxhole <laughs> prayer doesn't fit. Now what? You know, and so since I had not run into unity yet, I would just ask for guidance, basically. I'd explain the situation in my prayer and ask for guidance about it and, you know, and, and I don't know if I got guidance or not, but I would call back and have a conversation about what was going on then. And what the practice did for me at that point was it made me pause. It made me stop. It, it put a halt to the, to the runaway thoughts going through my mind.
So we do have a caller coming in, Stephen. Let's go ahead and bring Stephen on the line. It looks like Stephen. Stephen, are you there? Uh, Hi, welcome. Thank you for calling Spirit of Recovery. Thank you, and thank you for all the great work you guys are doing. Um, I recommended that I call you because I'm heading into the holidays with a little bit of concern about behaviors and, and, you know, the things I don't want to bring with me when I go back home for the first time in, my gosh, over a decade now to be back home with my family for the holidays. Uh, I haven't done this in a while, and I haven't done this as a sober person, um, and I'm concerned that it's going to be a minefield of triggers if you know what I mean. Yes. Yeah, I, I do know what you mean, and I'm glad that you called. And I think that that can be a very challenging time. I know that when I first went back into a situation like that, like a family situation where all of a sudden I'm I'm the sober one, but that, that's not who I've been in that context. I know I definitely uh, talked with my sponsor ahead of time. But like we're sharing right now on the show, um, I had enough at that time of a, of a prayer practice to at least I had learned like Lonnie was just sharing, I had learned to pause, you know, learn to take a breath, um, call it a prayer or a meditation or whatever, um, to take a breath and kind of check in with myself and see, you know, how am I feeling? What feels right? Um, that prayer skill, I suppose, in combination with the very practical advice that I also received and, and found helpful, which is that, you know, if I, genuinely become uh, uncomfortable, I can leave. I'm allowed to leave. I should make sure that I know how I would leave at any point in time. Now, for me, I didn't end up having to leave, but I know people that have uh, had to leave. And so that's uh, what comes to mind as you share stepping into that experience. Um, I think that it's wonderful that you're doing it. I, I love the consciousness that you're bringing to it. You know, you're really considering this. It's important to you. I can tell that your recovery is important to you. and I'm glad you're asking. Yeah, you know, and there's some you. additional little tips that um, I have found helpful. And, and some of them were just find my support before I go, you know, find, find your, your uh, recovery meetings and, um, you know, get the address and, and find out when the meeting times are that with the internet, you can find out in any city, anywhere what's going on and, mm. you know, make sure that I've got the support folks that I normally talk to ready, you know, knowing that I'm going into this situation so that, that it's not a big surprise when I haven't talked to them in three months that now I'm calling them, you know, every three hours or something like that. Um, and I agree with the being able to leave and with Uber in this day and age, that's not as much of an issue as it was back in the day, you know, when you had to have your own car keys or else be stuck somewhere forever. But, you know, also, I, I don't know if you shared with your, your family or your circumstances with people and that, that for me took an edge off. I told people that I'm in recovery now. I'm not going to be doing this, what I used to do. And so, you know, just don't even invite me to those functions. It's, it's a relatively new experience. And that's why I think I'm so nervous about it is because, you know, my sobriety is not new, but it's new to them. Um, I think the last time I was home, I would say was about nine years ago. It's been about that long since I've seen friends or been in, in kind of, surrounded by my entire family like this. So in a large way, I kind of have to share this news of sobriety and also my spiritual growth, which certainly wasn't a priority for me the last time I was home and in that environment. So it's almost like it's a one-two thing. I have to 
to talk about mm-hmm. my sobriety, talk about and share about my experiences with spirituality. And I, that makes me so nervous um, to talk about because on one hand, it feels like I'm making them right because the, you know, the drinking a little too much during the holidays and the, the coping mechanisms I was using before and the fights and everything now get explained as I, I had a substance problem, or at least that's how I feel like they're going to, they're going to take that. And then, you know, now with the spirituality, that's something that's very against what they believe in. So I do feel like I'm heading back into the lion's den a little bit, but I agree with you that having an escape strategy is good. And, uh, and being able to go get into a meeting would be great. Uh, but as far as the people I'm going to run into just at the grocery store, I have no idea what's going to happen. Well, the other suggestion that I make to people that I work with personally is that they learn to say no and and that they have a few what I would call public answers. You don't owe an explanation to everybody for your life. You know, and to be able to say, no, no, thank you. No, I don't do that anymore. No, I've changed my ways. You know, things like that that are kind of generic um, boundaries, really, um, are, are enough until somebody presses you. And then you can go a little deeper if you choose to and say things like, well, you know, it didn't work for me so well. And I've, I've decided mm-hmm. I want to turn over a new leaf. And, you know, so you can you can do different things like that in terms of figuring out your strategies because you don't owe your whole story to everybody. Hmm. That helps a lot. Yeah, and I I know that when I went into situations like that, I went in super well prepared because I was very concerned about exactly the kinds of things that you're talking about. And I had, you know, sort of a list of those, what Lonnie called public responses. If someone says, hey, Dan, you know, do you want a beer? Uh, No, thanks. That's my first, you know, I'll say that twice. I'll say each of my things twice. Do you want to? No, thank you. No, thank you. Um, you know, I'm not really up for that. I don't really do that anymore. You know, just sort of increasingly saying, you know, no, I don't drink. Uh, I don't drink anymore. I don't drink anymore for any reason ever. I never even got to anything past. No, thank you. Now that might be just because of the people I happen to be around. That doesn't mean that you won't get pushed a little more, but I took Mm. great comfort in having some of those phrases, um, sort of just right at hand. Again, in addition to knowing that I can leave if, if someone is just downright uh, rude and inappropriate and really, um, you know, coming after me for some reason that has nothing to do with me, it's all about them, then of course I need to be able to leave. And that's sort of my deep fallback is, hey man, I can get out of this situation. If it if I really don't know how to handle it, I will, I can and will leave. Um, but what I found is that I, because I was so prepared perhaps, I really didn't need to use every tool in my toolbox that I brought to bear and that people in general uh, we're not interested in in pressing me on this or on that. Mm-hmm. No, that's really helpful. And then at least well, I good. can go in with all this all this rehearsed in advance. Yeah, being prepared is very very helpful. Well, and thank you for your call, Stephen. I'm glad you called, and and what you're talking about is really important. And uh, I'm glad thank that you're you. going into it prepared. Thank you for all the work that you guys do. I appreciate it. Uh, yes. Bye bye. Thank you. Take care. Bye. 
So those were excellent questions that Stephen brought, and I'm glad that he asked them because I think that's a very common experience. And I remember the first time I I've been to a, a family reunion, uh, and and I have a not a big family. My wife does have a big family, and 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 the big family will get together and do family reunion. And this is you know literally. Um, if you threw a rock, you'll hit a beer can, almost guaranteed. Tables covered with beer cans, every horizontal surface, ashtray, beer can. And it was the first year that I was in recovery. And so I did, Lonnie, what you said. I made sure I knew where the meetings were. I made sure I had transportation. You know, I had my own car if I needed to leave. So I knew I had a pathway out if I needed it. Um, as it turned out, it was no problem. Uh, it was weird. It was very strange for me to be around that much alcohol and drinking, but I didn't personally feel tempted. Nobody bugged me about it. Uh, I did go off to a meeting once and that was helpful. Uh, you know, I had a sober buddy there with me uh, and so everything worked out. But yeah, that's that's really a common experience. And I, I remember being very concerned about that. You know, one of the things that happened when I was in early recovery was I was still traveling. I was still traveling across the country, um, you know, airports and and uh, motels and meetings and uh, social events and things of that nature. And so I had to learn how to evade the questions. But one of the things that what really surprised me was that I didn't have to say no that often because there were not that many people asking. And if I had been on the other side of that, um, I would have been running around that's one of our defense mechanisms. I'm running around asking you here, you want a beer, you want a beer, you want a beer, because that way when I go back and get three or four, it doesn't <laughs> look weird, right? Yes. You know, and so I found out a lot of things in my first year, but one of them I found out was that I was the one that was pushing <laughs> drinks on everybody else. And, and yourself. Was, yes, and myself, because I made sure I had one every time I went back to help somebody else. So under the guise of being helpful, you know, I was probably making people uncomfortable, you know, people that maybe didn't want to have a drink. Yeah. And, and I love that you said that, you know, that I'm the one who kept pushing alcohol at me. And when I quit, guess what? Nobody else did. <laughs> exactly. I want to, I want to tie this back to let go and let God, because one thing that I learned, one that has worked for me, that has enabled me to live the life that I want to live. And I, and I am living the life that I want to live. Um, my, my quick definition of that is that I love everything that I do. And if I don't love something, I don't do it. Now that is literally true 99% of the time. And the other 1%, it's more of an affirmation, but really it's an opportunity for me to ask, you know, what is going on here? Uh, what is happening? Sort of step back and reassess. But to be able to live that life, I had to learn the skills and shift from instead of me being the force in the world that had to make everything happen, I had to learn the complete opposite, which is to get out of my own way to get out of God's way, in a sense, and let things work for me naturally. You know, I was amazed to find out that I, not only did I not have to go out and make everything happen, and then uh, my main fear, of course, was that if I didn't go out and make everything happen, my whole life would go to hell. What actually happened when I got out of my own way and I was willing to let go of the need to control and let God, whatever it is God does, I don't know how that works, uh, everything didn't go to hell. Everything started to get really good. And so by letting go and letting God to me is another way of saying, hey, maybe I can get out of my own way. 
and let things unfold in a way that I never would have trusted enough before, but I find actually works way, way better than anything else. And so, you know, going into a situation like that, I can shift from, you know, I've got to make sure that nobody does this, says this to me. I got to make sure that no one's pushing drinks. I got to make sure, you know, there's a few things I got to have my phrases. Like you said, I need to know how I'm going to leave. If it's time to leave, I need to have a couple phone numbers to call. But other than that, I can let go of everything else. I can let go of other people's behavior. I can let go of what else is going on there uh, and, and just let God take care of all that. And it works out. You know, probably one of the first visualizations I was given by my sponsor, early sponsor, she said, send God in first. And that helped me because I could envision the, the room that I was entering, the environment that I was entering as safe and protected, and I was supported, and I could bring that visual to mind, and which lowered my anxiety level a lot. And things always seemed to turn out better when I did that. I love that. You know, I had not heard that. I'm going to remember and do that and repeat that. Let God go in first. Because that's mm -hmm. so, I can so, I can picture that, you know, even though it, it sounds, um, you know, woo-woo in a way like we were talking about because we are talking about God. I can, in my mind, sort of allow the way to be paved in front of me. It's, a, it's another way I'm feeling like it's another way to just let go. It's like, oh, if I, if I quote, send God in ahead of me, whatever that means, then that means there's a whole bunch of stuff I don't have to worry about. Oh, so how about if I just not worry about that stuff and then everything will turn out much, much better, like you said. Um, sometimes if people were to ask, you know, what does let go and let God look like for me today? It looks like a, a prayer and meditation practice. Now, there's a lot else internal that's going on. But I do, I had developed the habit of taping, taking time each morning and periodically throughout the day to just get still and remind myself of that presence and that power of God that we talked about in and through and as me. And I can do this in two seconds at a stoplight and I can do it in 20 minutes in a formal meditation at home. But the point is that I have developed a habit of doing that to whatever degree is possible whenever it occurs to me. And I think that is key, you know, and that is one of our core tenets of, that, uh, you know, prayer and meditation are the way that we establish this conscious contact with God, which, of course, is the 11th step in the 12-step program, you know, that, that we have to have some type of a practice by which we get hooked up, by which we get connected, and by which we can receive the guidance and the direction that we so desperately need uh, at the beginning of our, of our recovery, and I still rely on today. It's, it's, um, it's critical. And, and one of the things that I have learned is that if I feel a sense of urgency, it's probably not mine to do at the moment. And so my practice has been to allow yeah, I love that. This is, in a way, what we're talking about is a concrete way that we can take action, you know, in, by by undertaking a prayer and a meditation practice. And in fact, let us now in our show move into action. You know, our fifth principle states that it's not enough to know these truths. We must live them. And that means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something that if you're listening, you can do this week to move from that life of pain and confusion that we shared about to the life you really want to lead by letting go and letting God. So the first step, whenever you want to let go and let God, is to bring to mind your conception of God, whatever that may be. And then ask yourself this question. 
what would life be like if I just didn't have to worry about this anymore? Imagine that your higher power is taking care of it for you. So take that feeling or impression or conception of your higher power and your desire to let go of whatever it is that's worrying you into a quiet time of prayer and meditation. It can be as simple as taking a breath and relaxing. You can just take it easy for a few moments, and you could do that right here and right now. And so then use a statement of power or what we call in unity a denial to deny any power to that challenge, whatever it may be. You could say something like, this challenge has no power over me. The experience of worry and confusion does not define me. Repeat that a few times in your head or say it aloud and say it with conviction. This challenge has no power over me. This experience of worry and confusion does not define me. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say, I let go and I let God take on that burdens me. I let go and I let God show me the way to the life I really want to live. And then it's important to take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. And there's no need to struggle. You can just give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope that you found something to help you on your recovery path, and we both bless you on your journey. Thank you to our listeners and to our caller, and thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for the insights shared in our discussion today. And listeners, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, And until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.